coming together from across the United States. The real issues you don't hear about elsewhere. Focusing on what matters to you and your neighbors. To resist bot live. Good afternoon, everybody. It is November 14th, 2021. I'm your moderator, Melanie Dion, and this is Resist Bot Live. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We, as always, have a great show today. Our topic is Planned Parenthood and reproductive rights, otherwise known as this is not anyone else's business. Um, as you know, every week we are here, 1 p.m. Sunday Eastern. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube or Twitch. I am joined today by our panelists, Susan Stutz and Athena Foulet. So let's welcome them. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Mel. Hi, Athena. Hello, hello. How's it going, ladies? Very well. Doing great. You know, I love our power of three shows. So let's get it. We are talking about, and it's it's once again, all girls. We're talking about reproductive rights. And we have a great guest who will be coming up, Laura Goodhue. But before we do that, I want to start with Athena. Good morning. Hello again, or good afternoon. Hello again. Good morning. Good afternoon. How's it going? Happy to be here. I think we have a lot to share in terms of just continuing war on women that's happening in this country at the moment from even Representative Gosser's video of that weird animation of him killing AOC this this past week to just these battlefronts that we're going to talk about later today. I think this is a very timely and important discussion, and I look forward to learning more as we sort of unpack what what, what can be done to continue to preserve and protect women's health and reproductive rights in the country. And we want to hear from you. So make sure that you are, if you're watching, feel free to submit comments. Athena will be reading your comments happily. And we also have Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi there, ladies. How are we? Great, great, great. It's sometimes it's a little discouraging that, you know, 50 years on, we're still having to have this conversation. The good news is, is that, you know, information is so much more broadly available to people. So the army of people who are fighting for this is a lot bigger than it ever has been in the past. So at least we have that good news. And when you think back just two weeks ago, we had our show on our episode about domestic violence at uh, at the end of Domestic Violence Awareness Month and how we're still fighting to get Violence Against Women Act, how just these things fall by the wayside as women, especially in our rights. There's this presupposition that we're reasonable. And we're going to be patient and quiet. And that reasonability is, it leaves us in a position where we have to placate the unreasonable. We have to placate the violence. So when we talk about reproductive rights, I'm a kid of the 80s. I think we're all kind of kids of the 80s. And we remember when people were blowing up abortion clinics. And that was the conversation. The conversation was not the health of women, the reason why women may actually need abortions as a multitude of reasons. That is really nobody's business. But it was, oh, how do we stop? How do we keep these people from doing this? The conversation always shifts away from the most important group involved, and that's us in our bodies. As though the pregnancies occur outside of us, undetached to us, it's never about the women 
who are pregnant. It's about the embryo. It's about the fetus. And we are just a walking incubator. And this continued idea that we struggle with this concept of women in our society as needing care and nurturing. And yet the minute a strong and powerful woman asserts herself, people short circuit and, and don't really know how to process. If you're not going to be the naive ingenue, then you're going to need to be this power woman in charge. And there's sort of like no in between and the, not, not giving women this ability to be able to define that for themselves um, in our own society is, is in many ways, I think, at the heart of why these struggles continue to happen here. Yeah. And the idea of us just being autonomous, that just seems too short circuit. I mean, when you look at, you brought up the video of that disgusting human with a video of AOC, there's a price that you pay for being assertive, for being a strong woman, for taking control of your destiny and, and, and speaking up for yourself, whether it's over your body, over your rights socially. So we have some petitions, Susan. We do indeed. Yes. So one of our biggest ones actually revolves around the Texas abortion law that went into effect recently. And it's asking to, it's very short, and it just says the Texas abortion law that went into effect today is a cruel anti-women bill. And the Supreme Court made it clear by standing that Roe versus Wade is no longer settled law. It's time to pass the Women's Health Protection Act immediately. Abortion is health care. And that is it's true. Abortion is essential health care. Like I said, this particular petition is related to Texas. But, you know, here in the state that I live in, in Florida, we've got a pending bill that mirrors in many ways the Texas law with regard to the authorization for civil lawsuits, that I can initiate a civil lawsuit against another individual whose life I know nothing about, but because they want to get an abortion, I can file suit against them. And I can win damages from that individual if the court, if I prevail in court. That petition, if you're interested in that one, oh, I apologize. That's an open letter. It's not a petition. My apologies. I thought that that was a petition. But we do have other ones with regard to reproductive rights just in general. One of the things that we did get a chance to talk about, because we'll circle back to the petition, but speaking of Florida, we're right on the heels of the Title 10 gag rule being lifted. And so we had the opportunity, thanks to Susan, to talk to Laura Goodhue of Planned Parenthood Florida. And she gave a wealth of information, an amazing understanding of not only Planned Parenthood, but what this fight for reproductive rights really means. So let's take a look at that. And we're joined by Laura Goodhue of Planned Parenthood Florida. Hi, Laura. Hi there. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. While we dive right in it, for those who may not know, though I think most of our audience will, for those who don't know, if you could give a little scope of Planned Parenthood and what the function is yeah. uh, of it, since it's been in the news forever, get from the <laughs> horse's mouth. What actually is the function of Planned Parenthood, especially in our communities? Sure. So Planned Parenthood is first and foremost a healthcare provider, providing the full range of sexual and reproductive health care. Uh, we're all across the country. We support uh, initiatives at other countries as well. We have an international department. Um, and then we've been around for 100 years. 
And it started with, you know, birth control and making sure that women, you know, had the tools to plan their families, you know, decide um, if and when they wanted to be a parent. So we provide care such as birth control, testing and treatment for sexually transmitted diseases, cancer screenings, as well as abortion care throughout the country. And I serve as the executive director of the advocacy arm of Planned Parenthood in Florida. So not only is Planned Parenthood a healthcare provider, but has, out of necessity, needed to have an advocacy arm. And so we do lobbying, we organize volunteers, we recruit new supporters. And that's because uh, we've been, you know, the the organization and, and abortion in particular has been under attack for many, many years. And so at a necessity to keep our doors open and to keep serving patients, we've had to, you know, really build our advocacy muscle over the years. And so in Florida, that means that we have over 800,000 supporters in our database. And we just, we have an army of, of volunteers and activists that are there to, you know, um, make sure that abortion restrictions aren't passed and work with our elected officials when we can to pass proactive policies. With the changes, we know that last year under the last administration, there was the gag rule. And since then, the Title X gag rule has been reversed. Have you found yourself since then, in a sense, making up for lost time since then? Yeah, so th- this program's it's a great program and it's been around for uh, decades and but uh, it's also been attacked for decades. And so the federal government um it's a it's a safety net program that provides birth control, testing and treatment for STDs and cancer screening for low-income people. And so this is a really good preventive program to prevent unintended pregnancies and to keep people healthy. And it's been supported um, with bipartisan support, Republicans and Democrats in the past. But what happens is um, often conservative right will come in and say, hey, we don't want these funds going to abortion providers because they're providing abortion, which we object to, even though it is safe, it is legal, it is constitutionally legal. And so the Trump administration put what's called a gag order. And so what that meant was that funding for these vital services was not was not provided to an agency or an organization that also provided abortion care. So as an abortion provider, Planned Parenthood doctors, the gag part comes in where they could they could, you know, counsel a patient and say, you know, here's your birth control, here's your results from your test, and we can't tell you anything about abortion as an option. And that just wasn't an ethical choice for them because doctors are required or, you know, they practice to, you know, the best standards of, of medical care. And so they want to let their patients know about the full range of reproductive healthcare options. And so Planned Parenthood wasn't able to receive that funding. But then with the Biden administration, and this is where, you know, elections matter, was able to reverse that decision out of the Department of Health and Human Services. And so once again, that funding has been reinstated. Low-income people can access those services. You know, there was a gap for a long time. And Planned Parenthood was one of the largest providers of, of those low-cost and free, well, free services for low-income people. And when we talk about that, when I'm glad you brought up that this is who was affected, especially low-income people, there have to be racial and class implications in one of the reasons why Planned Parenthood can be on the chopping block at all. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a systemic racism in our healthcare system in this country. And we know that. And we know that Black women in particular have been, you know, subject in, in, in terms of like just reproductive health care, um, have been left out, have suffered from a lack of care. 
Latinx women as well. So BIPOC, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color, as well as LGBTQ people have found themselves, you know, with higher rates of unintended pregnancies, of sexually transmitted infections. And when these programs are, you know, taken away or not made available, it just makes those problems worse. White privileged people, you know, almost always have access to healthcare or will be able to find it with the economic means. But it's when we pass these restrictions on funding, policy regulations, that people who are systemically less out of the healthcare system suffer the most. And that's where we see higher rates of like breast and cervical cancer amongst um, women of color, higher rates of infant mortality. And these are things, you know, that we should be able to solve in our country by now. And access to care shouldn't depend on your zip code or your race or your economic status. That's one of the things that Planned Parenthood tries to prevent. Uh, we try to you know, reach out into the communities. We never turn anybody away for services and, and offer affordable care where we can. You know, we have sliding scale fees often in, in Florida, for example, and in, in our Planned Parenthood, we're able to offer free the free range of healthcare service. I mean, the full range of healthcare services free to anyone under the age of 18. Not only is the affordability important, but the confidentiality is important, especially to young people who may not be able to tell, you know, their parent or guardian that they need birth control. And so a lot of people turn to Planned Parenthood for that confidentiality and that that compassionate care. We look at how what's what's taken place in in Texas, where they the restrictions have become so restrictive <laughs> that it's it's even though they don't call it a ban for all intents and purposes, making the cutoff that early is a ban um, yeah. for for all intents and purposes. Most women don't even know that they're pregnant at yeah. at six weeks. And in addition, it is something that people would like room to give thought to, regardless of their ultimate decision. It is a decision that requires thought. So, so making that time frame so narrow is, is all but a ban. And now we're at the point where you're in the state of Florida and Florida is attempting to implement something serious, but the laws in Florida are a little different. Um, the privacy laws in Florida. Mm -hmm. So do you anticipate that there would be, that Floridians have more of a chance to put up a fight as opposed to what was available in the state of Texas? Yeah, well, Floridians are putting up a fight. Um, we marched, you know, as soon as this, a similar bill was filed in Florida, we took to the streets on October 2nd across the state um, because people are really, really upset. You know, the abortion has been a constitutional right since God, 1973, 48 years, almost 50 years. You know, what we've actually seen in Florida is an outpouring of sympathy for Texas. I mean, what's happening in Texas is really heartbreaking. Young people, um, low-income people, like I said, if you have the economic means, the time to take off work or school to travel to another state to get abortion care, you'll be able to do that. But this law is truly heinous. I mean, we've seen uh, Planned Parenthood health centers turn into crisis centers. Um, we have to basically, you know, tell, turn people away who just aren't able to get across, you know, travel, get a plane ticket, take time off to get care. And our Supreme Court, um, unfortunately, as it's been stacked with, you know, Trump nominees has refused to overturn uh, Texas's law, citing, you know, all these procedural tricks that they put in the law. And if those who aren't familiar with what they passed in Texas and why that's been able to shut down abortion care, 
it's because they put this little sneaky clause in it that says, you know, the state or city officials cannot enforce the ban on abortion when fetal cardiac activity is detected. We take that as around six weeks, but a private citizen can enforce it through a civil lawsuit. And so this is obviously legal trickery, right? And it has so many unintended consequences if you apply this to any other, you know, situation. And so the Supreme Court um, has decided that they just weren't even going to take up the issue. They did hear some oral arguments on standing on whether or not uh, the federal government could sue the state of Texas. We'll wait and see what that decision is. But since September 1st, people in Texas have really not been able to access care because the threat of these civil lawsuits against providers is just too much of a liability. If someone were to be successful in court, they would receive a minimum of $10,000 in damages as well as, you know, attorney's fees and the costs. And so any providers just not, they're not going to be able to afford that. It's also really unheard of that you would set what a minimum amount of a settlement would be. And Texas, you know, they knew this, right? And the way that this started was locally. So a number of cities passed similar ordinances in Lubbock, Texas, and across the state. And we saw some of that in Florida, groups trying to pass those. But what happened instead is supporters of reproductive health care have passed the opposite. In fact, we've been able to pass dozens of resolutions in cities and counties across the state just in the past couple of months affirming the right to abortion and reproductive health care and urging the Florida legislature not to pass more restrictions. And this is passed in places like St. Petersburg, Gainesville, Tallahassee, and most recently in Broward County, which is Fort Lauderdale. So we're really encouraged by local officials who are standing up and saying, we don't want this in Florida. It's an assault on health care. When you look at it, um, abortion is health care. Reproductive care is health care. That part can't be ignored. A state as large as Florida, Florida is the third most populated state in the union, making a stand on that. Do you think that it offers maybe a glimmer of hope for other states? Because as we when when this is becoming an issue of states' rights, this statement that a state as large as Florida can make a stand against a de facto ban like this, what do you think that will have on the collective conversation around this issue? There's a lot there. I would say that, look, abortion stigma is real. I don't know if, um, if any of our audience saw um, Saturday Night Live. I just saw the clip of Cecily Strong shared her abortion story, but she shared it as a clown. And the little skit was like, hey, if I'm a clown and I tell my abortion story, maybe it'll be more palatable. And she just talks about abortion and honks her horn. It was really genius the way that she did it. And But it what, really what it was highlighting was that until we get rid of this abortion stigma, it's really going to be hard for people to stop these types of restrictions. There's always going to be that prejudice, right, in state legislatures across the country. And the reality is, and you, you started off your question with saying, you know, abortion is healthcare, is that one in four women will have had an abortion by the age of, four, of 45, which is someone you know. You know, it's someone you know and you love. And if you think about, you know, the LGBTQ movement, it, it really destigmatizing was so important. Yes, we had amazing, you know, constitutional decisions that said, yes, uh, you know, you can love who you want to love, you can marry who you want to marry. I think there's some real comparisons about government intrusion into our private personal decisions there between the LGBTQ movement and the abortion rights movement. But I think what's scary right now 
is that Florida has introduced this. And Florida has actually been known for passing abortion restrictions, but we have a stronger right to privacy in our state constitution. So it's always been shut down. However, we saw what happened with the Trump administration packing the courts. The same thing has happened in Florida. So the governor, Ron DeSantis uh, government has been able to pack our state Supreme Court. And so we're not entirely sure that our state Supreme Court is going to say, you're right, Florida's stronger right to privacy is going to protect the right to abortion. And so there's a real concern there that we could, that Florida could pass more onus restrictions a la Texas. And then what happens, you talk about the population here, is that if you have Texas essentially banning abortion and Florida, and then every state in between, they have maybe one abortion provider. And, and really, those people aren't going to be able to handle the number of people that need care. There are around 70,000 abortions that take place in our state of Florida each year. And so again, if you if you can fly up to North Carolina or who knows where and you can, you know, somehow get get an appointment with a provider who that's another problem, just even finding somebody that can provide that care, then you're going to be really fortunate. So, we've got a lot against us. We've also got the state Supreme Court taking up a 15-week ban out of Mississippi on December 2nd. They didn't have to hear that case, but they are. Uh, because states pass unconstitutional bans on the gestational period all the time. But the Supreme Court has just, and the lower courts have just shot them down. But this, you know, the Coney Barrett, the the Brett Kavanaugh court is is hearing this case. So, you know, we could be seeing, you know, for the first time in 50 years, real absolute ban on abortion. And and people, you know, are, are going to get abortions. It just may not be in the safest way possible. And that turns it into a health crisis in a nation that does not need another one. Because you're absolutely right. There will always be, people are always going to fight for their reproductive rights. When it comes to supplemental programs that people can also uh, seek out, do you have any recommendations um, as far as that? It it could be specific to your state or, or on a national level. Yeah, I mean, I think that people, you know, should should hear about all of their options, right? Um, ideally, from a trusted provider. Planned Parenthood, we have 20 health centers in Florida, but I know a lot of states just don't have a reproductive health care provider, and it's difficult to make an appointment. You know, Planned Parenthood tries to be there online. In fact, that's where we answer a lot of questions with apps. Just kind of look us up, you know, online. There's always somebody to talk to. Ideally, you know, young people are going to a trusted adult, but that's not always... You know, their parent or guardian may not be there for them, but we would just hope that they would, you know, seek someone out, a counselor, an educator, and hope, you know, that that the information that we have online could always be of, of help. And lastly, thank you so much for all of this information. And lastly, before we let you go, how can our neighbors in, in, in our audience, the everyday folks, how can we support Planned Parenthood or our other local uh, reproductive rights? reproductive uh, centers in our state? What's the best yeah. way to do that? So, I mean, volunteer and funding. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of abortion funds out there that provide support to patients to not only help with the cost of, of care, but also just travel and food. I know there's a national abortion funds website. You can always go to Planned Parenthood and donate to us. You know, funding just goes into our nonprofit organization. We are the largest nonprofit provider of sexual and reproductive health care, but we partner with our for-profit 
independent providers as well, because we have to form a network. We have to support each other. So I think, you know, just, just give to your local organization and also volunteer. Um, our website in Florida for advocacy, if you want to stay up to date, is FAPA, which stands for the Florida Alliance of Planned Parenthood Affiliates, and that's F-A-P-P-A. Org, but just look us up, follow us on social media. Always got some types of, of action and volunteer opportunities available. Laura, thank you so much for your work and for being with us today. Oh, um, thanks, Melanie. Hopefully thanks you won't this. be a stranger and we'll have no, you back around because this, this conversation isn't going anywhere. I don't, so, I don't think it is, unfortunately. <laughs> All unfortunately. Right. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye-bye. One of the um, things that stuck out to me was when she brought up uh, Cecily Strong's video on SNL, her skit on SNL was just going back to what I said earlier, how as women, we're number one, expected to be reasonable. And we have to make this palatable to unreasonable people. I think it's a really important video to watch and we have it here. So we will run that as well. Goober the clown who had an abortion when she was 23. And I wish I didn't have to do this because the abortion I had at 23 is my personal clown business. But that's all some people in this country want to discuss all the time. Even though clown abortion was legalized in Clown v. Wade in 1973. Here. Can you stop saying clown abortion? <laughs> Clowns have been helping each other end their pregnancy since the caves. It's going to happen, so it ought to be safe, legal, and accessible. We will not go back to the alley. I mean, the last thing anyone wants is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. Goober the clown, everyone. Yeah, but- that was unfortunately hilarious. Unfortunately, yeah. Just uh, the, the truth hurts sometimes. When you talk about choice and, and just abortion in general, that is the truth. Like, people only, people have to decide which abortions are okay to have. And when you're dealing with one in four women by 45, I can't reiterate enough. It's not anybody's business. It's not anyone's business why and how you arrived at that decision. I say this as somebody who I have a a mother whose health was irreparably damaged by pregnancy. And her choice was to have her children. But she she made a choice after she had access to the information that she needed. And so this is something that we have to remember, it's not just being like pro-abortion is not a thing because this is, there are those of us, we are, we are here. We are pro-choice. We want women to make the choice. It's very important that that gets conveyed. And the choice to have an abortion is a valid choice. That isn't anyone's business. And we have comments on that. Athena, Athena, I believe you said we have some comments now. Sure. Yes. And I, I know that Susan has written a little bit about this, so I'll go, I'll go and pass it on to her. But Paula commented that uh, we also need and must stop thinking about this idea of autonomy and start speaking in terms of the reality of our autonomy. Like being in control of my person is not an idea. It's a reality that more and more people need to really understand and accept. So Susan, did you have something to add to that? I I do, as a matter of fact, people view women as we're walking incubators when we're talking about abortion. We don't talk about the woman who is pregnant and how heartbreaking that decision may have been for her. We don't talk about what the circumstances in her life may have led her to having to make that choice. And it's important that we talk about it in terms of choice. Nobody wakes up on Monday and says, you know, well, today's a good day to have an abortion. It's a thought process. And we bring everything that we have to bear on that decision as women and everything that's going on in our life. 
so often the woman behind the pregnancy is invisible and we don't talk about her. We have to stop doing that. Where I live in Florida, up and down our highway, we have these giant billboards and they've been there for as long as I can remember. And it is a fetus or an embryo just kind of floating on the the billboard. And it's not attached to anyone. It's just there. This just this embryonic sac just floating on a billboard. The conversation becomes all about these cells that become an embryo, that become a fetus. We have to start having a conversation about the women behind the pregnancy. It's time to quit ignoring us. The autonomy of women is just horrific. It's it's a theory, but for the most part, it's not a reality and it needs to be a reality. We are women and people before we are walking wombs. I say this as someone who benefited from my mother choosing not to terminate, but I also have to refer to my mother as past tense. This Friday will be 27 years since we lost her at the age of 43. Pregnancy caused just irreparable damage to her body, to her organs, and we cannot ignore that. I appreciate and defend her choice. She was very clear that that was what, you know, she she loved her girls and she was very clear that if she had the choice to make over again, she would do the same thing. And I respect that choice. But I cannot ignore my mother as a woman, as as a, as someone who's been a mother, my, who's a mother myself. I have two children, well, two adults now. And I know what this does to our bodies. And the the disregard to um, completely ignore this as health care, as mental health care at times, because when we think of what comes with not only the actual carrying of a baby, but also what comes with uh, postpartum. There are women who postpartum depression (laughs) wrecks them. So we have to look, the only way you can be in support of these bans or these almost bans is when you just completely detach yourself from looking at women as people with valid opinions on what they can do with their own well-being. When Laura referenced what's taking place in Texas and how this is putting a burden on other states, there is a, a healthcare provider in Tennessee. They have seen more patients from Texas or more out-of-state patients since SB8 was instituted than they have in all of 2020. So this is going to not only affect the people of Texas, but this is going to affect people in other states. We have to keep in mind we are talking about human beings and not baby ovens. And there's no other way to put that. When it comes down to what we can do, volunteering, donating, supporting our local reproductive rights groups, showing up at protests. One of my friends just yesterday, I'm here in New Orleans, there was a protest outside of Planned Parenthood just yesterday. So she got out to be supportive of the people who are escorting, to to be supportive of the Planned Parenthood workers, and pointed out organizations that help escort people into Planned Parenthood. We need to know what those groups are, who those groups are, and learn to to be supportive of them. Very important with with the petitions. I believe, uh, Susan, we had that petition in about Texas. Did you want to talk more about that one? Yes, ma'am. So if you're interested, like I said earlier, this petition out of Texas is with regard to the Texas law. But here in Florida, we're working on a bill 
uh, or the legislature is rather. It's not standalone the same as Texas, but it's very similar to Texas. Again, we'll be able to file a civil suit against somebody that we think has had an abortion and get money damages from them if we prevail in the courtroom. But the call sign for that particular petition is you send sign, the word sign, S-I-G-N, plus the following letters, and it's P-N-S-G-F-M. And you can send that letter to your representatives. Right now we have just shy of 1,300 signatures on that one. So we'd love to for that one to grow some more legs, be a little bit more out there. We have also have a couple that have to do with the Women's Health Protection Act that is currently pending before Congress. That bill, it passed the House and now it's pending in the Senate. That would, it would codify into law a women's right to abortion on a federal level. Abortion rights would have more teeth for women across the country if the Women's Health Protection Act gets passed. And so we have a petition with regard to that particular piece of legislation. And it comes to us with right now 221 people have signed on to it. And so if you're interested, um, you send the call sign of P-A-W-Z-X-X. And you can send that to your legislatures wherever you live in the country. Let them know how you feel about abortion rights in particular across the country. I think we have one more. Yes. So we have one, again, with regard to the Women's Protection Health Act or Women's Health Protection Act. And the call sign for it is P-U-L-H-T-C. And it starts out with the right to an abortion is non-negotiable. And it's non-negotiable. It is non-negotiable. Uh, It's essential health care, and women are entitled to make that decision for themselves. And only women, only pregnant people get to make that decision. And so if we can pass that particular piece of legislation, the Women's Health Protection Act, you know, that gets us one step closer to that autonomy that is a reality for us, but only a theory for, you know, most others who are living in glass houses as they make these decisions for us. I think that that is it. For petitions. I think we have a couple more comments. Is that correct, Athena? Yes, we had an earlier comment from um, Ellen on Facebook just indicating that she started, they started as a Planned Parenthood volunteer over 50 years ago. This idea that this fight still continues is upsetting and that this work needs to continue. Just wanted to point out that I just want to say thank you. The volunteers help organizations like everybody on this call is a volunteer. So volunteers make things happen. So thank you for your work and labor with that. And I just wanted to point out that this is a continued assault on the right of an individual to make decisions about their own lives. Um, We know that when governments legislate or try to restrict access to these things, it disproportionately affects people of color and absolutely women. While the struggle will continue and the work that we're doing, I think it's good to um, celebrate the wins that we've had and to celebrate and cherish some of the elders who have been working with us, protecting these rights for future generations. So again, just wanted to say thanks for that, Ellen. Absolutely. And Ellen had an amazing comment as well. She said that you know we should be reminded that laws will not stop abortions and they will not. Women are going to seek out abortions. It weighs in on how much do you care about women's safety? How much do you care about the safety, the health, and the well-being of women? It is beyond how I feel about it. I would love for the world to go exactly the way I thought and everyone aligned with how I think things should go and how they can pick it up and put it down. 
But that is not the reality. So my choices, I cannot legislate or should not legislate my choices on anyone else. And those are just the hardcore facts. So thank you, Ellen. Thank you, everyone who volunteered. Thanks to Laura Goodhue and Planned Parenthood Florida and just Planned Parenthood in general for, for doing the good work. So appreciate it. Thank you, Susan, for introducing Laura to us. And uh, before we get out of here, I wanted to give you guys uh, an opportunity, like we do, to give our shout outs to the folks that we're uh, paying attention to who doing the good work that um, we, want, we want to make sure amplified this week. So, Dina? Great. Yes, thank you. The Marshall Project is a nonprofit journalism group that focuses on um, studying and shedding light on our criminal justice system. And they actually just dropped an article about the thousands of teenagers that are victims of police violence throughout the year and uh, how a striking number of them are black girls and some really disturbing facts and um, statistics in an article, again, that was shared on November 2nd. I'll go ahead and drop the link in here as well. Support them if you're able. I think the fourth estate could use all the help that they can get in terms of shedding light um, on the issues that we have in our various commercial systems. So uh, check them out, The Marshall Project. Thanks so much. And Susan? So I have a couple of things that I just wanted to mention. Um, You know, when we talk about Planned Parenthood, so often that conversation rotates around the issue of abortion. But Planned Parenthood, and Laura Goodhue alluded to this, you know, they provide the majority of care, reproductive care, for people who are on Medicaid and on Medicare. You know, they also provide services to transgender members of our community, you know, testing for STDs or STIs, I think they're referred to at this point. There are some clinics that have hormone therapy for transgender individuals who are going through that transformation. Planned Parenthood is the single largest provider of reproductive health care in this country. They are the majority provider for the people on Medicare and Medicaid. And there is legislation pending with Congress. It's called the Each Woman Act. And what that would do is allow women who are on Medicaid and Medicare to receive abortion care. Uh, It would take the Hyde Amendment away, which prohibits federal funds from being used to provide abortions. So the Each Woman Act, if you can reach out to your legislature and encourage them to pass that, that would do a world of good for women. And then the other thing that I'm keeping my eye on is a lawsuit out of the state of Texas with regard to mask mandates. A judge just ruled in the district court out in western Texas that the Governor Abbott's prohibition on mask mandates violates the ADA. And so when I was reading about that, I could hear Velissa, who was our guest when we talked about social security, disability, and poverty, and her saying how often there is a disabled component to just about every topic, every issue. And so it was not a perspective that I had considered when we were talk when we've been talking, you know, for the past year about mask mandates. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens in different states. Here in Florida, we have a governor who did the same kind of thing who prohibited mask mandates. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens with that. That was definitely a huge win for the disabled community. And you know, I'm I'm longstanding team Valissa, and that really informed how I look at everything now. I'm always kind of looking at how does this impact the disabled community? And that's why we do what we do. I want to give a shout out this week to a Pennsylvania-specific group. Um, as you know, Pittsburgh is my second home. 
And when I lived there, I had the pleasure of working for someone who did pro bono work for the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund, or TILDEF. They help facilitate, among other things, they help facilitate name changes, pair uh, transgender people with attorneys who can ease them through the process of, of changing their names legally. And if you want to learn more about them or support them, you can go to transgenderlegal.org. Amazing, amazing organization. That is going to wrap us for today. As mentioned earlier, we're all volunteers. So if you want to know how you can support us, go to resist.bot. If you'd like to volunteer or donate or tell us that we're doing great. You can also subscribe to our podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. Um, this episode should be up on Tuesday. And until then, we will see you next week. Resist Bot Live originally airs as a live stream every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and is brought to you by the same folks behind the chatbot. If you haven't used ResistBot before, it's simple. iPhone users, go to resist.bot on the web and tap the iMessage button. Non-iPhone users, open your text messaging app and compose a new text message. For the phone number, type 50409. In the message field, type resist or any of the keywords you heard on the show. You can also direct message ResistBot on Twitter or the Telegram app. For a printable keyword guide and more, visit our website at resist.bot. Our website has a complete guide to creating powerful public policy or voter turnout campaigns. And we're here to support your activism. Email support at resist.bot if you need help getting started. ResistBot is a nonprofit social welfare company built by volunteers and supported by your donations. You can donate on our website or email volunteer at resist.bot if you want to join our team. Regular contributors include Melanie Dion, Athena Foulet, Susan Stutz, Dr. Joseph Kuhill, and Scott McTaggart. Thank you for listening.